0: Hello from the American Enterprise Institute in Washington, D.C., and welcome to the Campus Exchange podcast. I'm Jeff Pickering, Director of Academic Programs here at AEI, where we connect college and university students with our nation's leading scholars through conferences, seminars, campus events, and this Campus Exchange podcast. Today, as the final episode of this season of the show, I'm thrilled to bring you a conversation between AEI scholar Brent Urell and Executive Council student Elizabeth Nishala on workforce development and vocation. Brent is one of our summer honors program instructors, and Elizabeth will be in his class this June. This is what I mean when I say I love what we get to do and the connections we get to make through our programs between leading scholars and great students. In June, our academic programs team will turn our focus to summer honors as we welcome over 200 top undergraduates from around the United States and world for week-long seminars here at our think tank. We'll take a summer break from this podcast and return with new episodes in September. We hope you've enjoyed following along this year and know that we've got some exciting things planned for next year, so stay tuned. Enjoy today's conversation.
1: Thank you, Jeff. My name is Elizabeth Nishala. I am a junior at Taylor University studying political science, philosophy, and economics and minoring in biblical literature. Today, I'm so grateful to be speaking with Brent Orell. Brent is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he researches work as a pathway to economic mobility and opportunity for all Americans, from the young to the old to even the incarcerated. And as of late, he's also narrowed in on artificial intelligence and how that has and will shape the workforce and economic landscape. Brent is the host of the podcast, Hardly Working, and has been published in Law & Liberty, Real Clear Policy, Real Clear Markets, and The Hill. Brent, thank you so very much for joining me on the Campus Exchange podcast today.
2: It's great being with you. Uh, I love uh, talking to students. I haven't been yet to Taylor, but hopefully one of these days I will get there. Um, so looking forward to this conversation. and. Um, and my favorite topic, which is work.
1: <laughs> That's right. Well, we'll we'll have to host you soon at Taylor. So jumping right in, you and your team at AEI use vocation, career, and work in place of the traditional term of workforce development. Speak to us about why this matters, and what's the significance of using this
2: nomenclature? Workforce development is really a um, a term of art for a specific set of activities and services that are typically provided by government agencies to help people who are either trying to get into the workforce or in, engaged in a workforce transition. That's a field that I've worked in. Uh, I I was the Acting Assistant Secretary for the Employment and Training Administration uh, during the George W. Bush um, era. And, um, and so I have a lot of respect for um, the people who do that work. As research, though, I like to take a somewhat broader um, approach to this, which is to really look at work in a more holistic um, framework um, or frame, a more holistic frame around it, um, and, and try to uh, uh, draw out some of the implicit factors that drive work behavior. Um, one of the most important in my view, is vocation. Um, we spend a lot of time trying to connect um the education that we um, pursue, receive um to directly to economic outcomes, and that's really important because we all have to earn a living um, but i do I think what gets lost is this notion of calling vocational calling. What are we actually built to do? What are the things that we can't not do um, because of the way that we're built? Uh, And that, I think, uh, has gotten lost uh, in many ways, and it really hampers um, our ability to be creative and imaginative about what our work future might be. What happens, is that people settle on what they think they want in terms of the economic outcome before they ever interrogate or examine in their own lives what they're gifted to do. And that's why I start with vocation. I think it's very important uh, in terms of long-term career stability and sustainability um, for people to start with what they love and then figure out how to align what they love, what they're gifted for, to what the market needs. So that's why we start with vocation.
1: Thank you. And how might you respond to those who would say that seeking and holding a job that's aligned with your passion, pursuing that that vocation, um, is only for elites and that focusing on passion actually hurts those on the fringes of society? Is pursuing one's passion a privilege that only the well-off may enjoy?
2: Yeah, I think it's a great question. Uh, I think that um, passion gets a bad rap uh, in our uh, society right now, where we have such a focus on again connecting, uh, education and training to employment outcomes. Uh, vocation does not and passion does not prescribe what kinds of work that we do. What it looks at is what do we really enjoy doing? Because I'll tell you, uh, that what I see in the data, uh, around, um, workforce is that. If people don't engage that conversation, they're at a much higher risk of burning out. So it, uh, this isn't to say that all work isn't um, worthwhile, uh, isn't needed, um, and isn't uh, doesn't have its own kind of mobility. I think that all work does have those characteristics. But I don't think, uh, again, that we spend enough time thinking about this question of calling. If you want to call it calling, you want to call it passion, you want to call it by another name. Following your dream is another way that it gets expressed. You can call it whatever you want. But what happens when people don't ask the question before they launch into their career is that they're much higher risk of burning out. You see this uh, among people who. Um, say, I'm, I'm going to go into a STEM field because I I, I believe that there's security, economic security there. And what we see among STEM workers that, is that about 10 years into their career, a lot of them drop out of those STEM fields because the money by itself is not enough. Um, so again, it's not an either or. Either you know follow your passion or follow the market. It's a matter of figuring out what is it that can get you out of bed every morning to go do your job, um, that, uh, is going to be sustainable to you over the long haul? Um, and I, I'm very concerned when I see people opting for, uh, educational pathways and career pathways strictly on the basis of, um, uh, of the money that they can earn. Money is very, very important, but it is not the only important thing. I don't think it's the most important thing.
1: Mm, That's so true. So places of work can as you've said, bring a lot of meaning and and purpose to people's lives. So for students and young professionals who will soon be entering or have recently entered the workforce, even thinking about uh, many of us who will have internships over the summer, how can we build connections with our coworkers and really draw a deep sense of meaning from our place of work?
2: Excellent question. Um, The connection between uh, work and meaning and people. The second most important factor, I think, beyond finding work that is satisfying, is being in a workplace in which you are connected to others in the workplace and within a workplace in which the dignity of the human person is recognized, it is um, developed, and it it is expressed. So, when a workplace has that at its center, what we see are much higher levels of job with this idea of human dignity at the center what we What we see is that people have much higher levels of job satisfaction because uh, human beings are not widgets; they are not interchangeable; they operate according to their own what Adam Smith called their own principles of motion in life, they have their own objectives. Uh, another way of thinking of this is to say that people are their own ends; they are not means to other ends and when we treat people as uh as ends in themselves and we ask how do we how do we get the most from this person in terms of how they express that on the job, everybody wins it's the most productive that means. When you are engaged in that way, you are producing at the highest level because it's most satisfying to you and you're delivering the highest level of value to your employer. So that's another reason that we need to think vocationally um, because it it is both good for the person and good for the business.
1: That's great. And in some of your recent work, you focused a little bit more on criminal justice reform, which I thought was very interesting. Would you mind sharing what piqued your interest in this area? And how does criminal justice reform fit under the broader umbrella of vocation, career, and work?
2: Yeah, I uh, I have been working on um, issues related principally to uh, the transition from prison to society. So people who have been away in prison, have committed crime, have been convicted, have served their time, and now they need to transition out. And as we know, a lot of people who, uh, go through that process end up committing new crimes and then returning to prison. So this reentry issue has been one that I've been working on for over 20 years now. Uh, and, <clears throat> um, it's interesting to me because that some of the questions that we've been talking about in terms of vocation, we see in stark terms among people who are coming into prison, who have the most need to identify who they are and their place in society so that they're able to flourish. Uh and uh so the same challenge that everybody has in terms of going through this vocational process, we see in kind of its most exaggerated form among people who are coming home from prison because they're starting from the furthest behind. Uh, and so that vocational journey, that identification of gift, gifting and calling is in fact more important um, for people who are coming home from prison in large part because they may never have had the opportunity to engage that conversation in their entire lives. Uh, I would argue that when you look at what drives criminal behavior, lands people in prison, it is that loss of identity um, that is one of the principal drivers. So we want to prevent people going back to prison after they get out. You really have to focus on this identity question. Um, so, whatever crises we're experiencing in American society, we tend to see it in its most exaggerated forms among the poor, among low income populations. But the same problems are present throughout society. Uh, and, uh, and so, in a sense, people coming home from prison are just like you and I. Um, just like you and me. We're all the same. We all have the same challenges, um, but they see their challenges in a much more serious and profound and difficult form.
1: Brent, from what I've read of your work, uh, while you certainly recognize the potential challenges, you seem to be generally optimistic about the expansive future of artificial intelligence. In your eyes, what are the greatest benefits and gravest dangers of AI playing a more prominent role
2: in this world? Yeah, I'm not too concerned about the dangers. I think that that's, that stuff is typically grossly exaggerated. I think it is, and it has always been in these moments when there's been a rapid kind of um, technological evolution, uh, human beings tend to get very nervous um, around new technology and sort of lead to the worst case scenario. And I just don't, uh, that, that just hasn't been the pattern in the past. I don't think it's, I don't think it's what we're going to see um, out of AI. Um, and while AI is going to affect work, um, you know, in historic times, sort of taking a longer time horizon, say 50 years, I think it's going to have tremendous impact over the next 20 30 50 years but it's not something that's going to impact uh, work that quickly um, it's one thing to have the technology it's another thing for that technology to be integrated into the way that we do um, business in this country that is a it is a slow and cumbersome process um, you know an analogy might be When the steam engine was created, it's not like all of a sudden everybody had a steam engine at their factory and it automatically was just sort of instantly integrated into the production process overnight. It took, it took a lot of investment, uh, and it took a lot of reconfiguring production processes in order to make that technology, um, productive in uh, in the overall economy. Same thing with artificial intelligence. Have, just having the tool, having the technology available is a very different thing than it being kind of integrated into the way that we that we do things. Now having said that, uh it is uh it is going to change things and we are going to have to adapt. So the question is how do we do that? And I think uh, the best answer that I've been able to come up with on this is that we all need to plan to be flexible. Uh, we need a portfolio of skills that allow us um, to uh, shift with the technology. So what does that mean? Um, if you are a humanities maker, for instance, it would probably be a good idea to pick up A STEM minor, you know, to and to acquaint yourself, to be very deliberate about acquainting yourself with the new technology as it emerges, to stay on top of it, to be comfortable with it, because that's what you're going to be asked to do in your career, is to adapt to the new technology as it comes along and is integrated into your workplace. You're probably not going to be in charge of designing it. Um, uh, a few people will have those jobs, but most people are going to be on the use side. So, being comfortable with using the technology is extremely important. So, again, the humanities work or social sciences um, is uh, helps to build your capacity to learn new things. Um, and the familiarity with the technology means you don't, you're not afraid of it, and you can you are more comfortable in learning how to use it so if you're a humanities major social sciences major pick up a stem minor if you're a stem major the opposite pertains all right? so if you're a stem major and you're majoring in computer science probably a good idea to spend some time in english literature or philosophy or history things that can teach you a different set of skills about how to think and how to process information And together, those things, I think, are the best sort of um, portfolio of kind of knowledge and skills um, moving into an uncertain future.
1: That's great practical advice for all of us. Thank you. What do you hope the impact of your work and research at AEI will be? You've got a lot going on. You've got a lot of different areas of interest and things you're looking into, but what is your motivation for doing and producing what you do each day?
2: You know, I uh, I, uh, I graduated from college in 1986, which is like, um, you know, ancient history. Um, I came to Washington, D.C. I have uh, to do an internship on Capitol Hill. I ended up staying and uh, working in Congress for 14 years, and I was in the Bush administration, and I was in consulting. And now I'm uh, reaching the latter years of my career. And my greatest hope is that I can, um, share what I've learned, um, with people who are at the front end of this career pipeline and, um, be of, uh, support to people who are starting their careers. So I focus on vocation, career, and work because these are concepts that have shaped me deeply and uh, and helped me to achieve what I've achieved in life and, and helped me, equip me to give back to the world around me. So that's what motivates, vo- motivates me the most is um, helping to share what I've learned um, with uh, the audience that follows my work in the hope that it will benefit them in their own career development, in their own um, vocational um, journey, uh, so that they can have a life uh, where they have the sense that they have given the best of who they are to the world around them.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful legacy to have in view as you do your work. And now for the final question, which we ask all of our guests on the Campus Campus Exchange podcast what do you know now, Brent, that you wish you knew when you were in college?
2: Yeah, so a, a wonderful question, and I always joke uh, when anybody asks me this question that my my main piece of advice to my uh, 20-year-old self would be go ahead and buy that Apple stock because it's going to be worth a fortune. Uh, so, so that that's one that's one piece of advice uh, to my 18-year-old self. The other piece of advice I would have for my 18, 20, 22-year-old self is um, don't worry so much. Um, uh, uh, You are about to finish your education and move out into the workforce, and you are moving into a $25 trillion economy. There is going to be a place for you there. So don't worry about that so much. you're not going to be homeless. you're not going to be without food uh you are going to, you're going to be just fine um over your lifetime you, you won the lottery when you were born an American, so you have a different set of challenges. Your challenge is to generate meaning in your life um and, and um that's that's also a difficult challenge um but that's what you should be focusing on, and not so much anxiety and concern and worry about whether I'm going, whether you're going to be okay, because you are going to be okay. Your survival is not at stake, but your flourishing is at stake. So focus on the flourishing.
1: That's so good and so true. Thank you so much for that advice, Brent. And thank you again for your time and for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge with us today. Really appreciated this conversation.
2: Same here, good luck to you and to everybody who's listening.
1: Thank you, Brent.
0: I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Our vision for equipping and developing student leaders to renew healthy civic engagement on their campuses is rooted in AEI's history, And mission. The American Enterprise Institute was established in 1938 and continues today as a community of scholars and supporters dedicated to defending human dignity, expanding human potential, and building a freer and safer world. The work of our scholars and staff advances ideas rooted in our belief in democracy, free enterprise, American strength and global leadership, solidarity with those at the periphery of our society, and a pluralistic entrepreneurial culture. If you want to join us in this effort, Visit AEI.org or check out the link in our show notes and be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay informed of our events and opportunities for students. See you next time.